Hey, so my guest, Glennon Doyle, is an activist and founder and president of Together Rising, which is an all-women-led foundation that has really revolutionized grassroots philanthropy, raising over $30 million for women, families, and children in crisis. She is also the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Untamed, which was a Reese's Book Club selection and sold, I think, like over 2 million copies. And she's also the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior and Carry On Warrior. And she also happens to now co-host, along with her sister, a fantastic new podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. I'm so excited to share this best of conversation. At a moment in time, we're all being called to dig a little bit deeper and step more fully into our personal and collective truths. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. We were just talking before we stepped into the room. There's this kind of interesting sort of relationship between me, you, and Abby, uh-huh. your wife. Um, last time you were hanging out in the studio, I feel like oh, so much has changed in your world, in the world, because it was probably about three and a half years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you came in, you were touring for Love Warrior, and there was a part of your story that was public. <laughs> and then towards the end of our conversation, we started talking about, okay, so, you know, there's actually another relationship and you shared, not planned, <laughs> that there was another relationship that you're in, but you didn't want to go any further. You're like, it's, it's kind of mine from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And then um, last year, I guess about a year ago, 
Abby came in and we somehow ended up talking about that moment too. And she was like, and she said, you know, she said, I have listened to that like small segment over and over and over because it was, she's like, Glennon didn't use my name, but it was the first public acknowledgement that I existed in her life. Mm. And it meant, and it was amazing. Um, and now we're sitting here today. <laughs> I know. I remember walking out of this room after having shared that. And you said something that made me share that. I don't know. You said you just look lighter or full of light or something. I don't know. You just said something that made me, I would, you know, when you're in love and you're just dying to share it, <laughs> just <laughs> dying to, and I felt safe here. And I just remember walking out of this interview and calling her right away. Yeah, I did call her right away. And I said, oh my God, I just said it. I just said it. And yeah, so much has happened since then. Yeah, it's amazing. When you called her right away after that, what was her, do you remember what she said to you? Oh, she was so excited. Yeah. I mean, just so excited. I mean, we just, you know, we, we, we had to share in layers because, um, because so many other people were involved and our, and our children and our family was still getting used to things. And, you know, when love is new, I kept thinking of it as like, it's just small and growing, you know, it's just like a little sapling right now. And back then, and sometimes after you share publicly and everyone has their opinions and feelings, it can feel like a storm. And I just remember thinking, I need to let this thing grow for a while before we invite the storm in. <laughs> um, but, you know, as usual, eventually when we did tell our story publicly, people were totally amazing. <laughs> People were um, celebratory and understanding. And, um, you know, we had lots of reminders that people are really good. Yeah. Which is really nice when that happens because it doesn't always happen. <laughs> well, the other stuff happened too. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, most of the people were, you, you just have to, you really have to decide who you care, like whose, whose opinions you care about, right? The people whose opinions I cared about were wonderful. Yeah. Um, and it's, and there were these sort of like multiple layers, like you were just saying, because there's the relationship between you and Craig, your, your mm -hmm. ex now, you and Abby, you and your kids, mm -hmm. you and your extended family, and then you and your public. Yeah. That's complicated, yeah. <laughs> you know, and to try and, you know, for somebody who spends a lot of time living in their head, which it seems like you do. <laughs> All the time. I got All the smile on your face. Yes. It's just like, yes. My favorite place. Yeah. Um, to sort of like think about, I mean, were, were you kind of thinking about like, okay, is there a way to do this where everybody stays, like gets and stays happy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think, I really believe that, you know, especially as women that we are trained to believe that what is true and beautiful for us, that what we want is necessarily bad for our people right? That if we go, that what we want, our deepest desires and what our people, our family, our children need from us are mutually exclusive. Um, and I just, I think that's an old idea. And I don't, I, having personally gone through what I've just gone through um, in terms of telling, you know, 
reshaping our family and dealing with my parents and dealing with all the extended friends and the public, I just really don't believe that in the end that there's any such thing as one-way liberation. You know, I think once you free yourself, the beautiful thing is that over time, you kind of free everyone around you to also embrace their truest selves. And um, I've seen that. I've seen that in my family. I've seen it in Craig. I've seen it in our kids. And that doesn't mean that it was easy. I mean, it was terrible. It was awful. Like anybody who's dealt with a divorce is brutal, brutal for kids. And it was brutal for my kids. But after all has settled, I don't think that anybody in my family would say that they could imagine a more beautiful family than we have right now. I mean, it's complicated and messy and busy, but half the time, Abby and Craig and I look at each other and say, how the hell does anyone do this parenting thing with only two parents? I don't know anymore. So yeah, I did kind of have this knowing the whole way through that if I did things steadily and carefully and with as much honor and honesty as humanly possible, that all would shake out in the end, that all would feel that if I did what was true and beautiful for me, that eventually that would be what was true and beautiful for my kids and for Craig. I mean, Craig gave me a card recently and it was so beautiful. It was a birthday card, I think, and it just said, thank you for breaking all of our hearts. I'm guessing that wasn't sort of like an off-the-shelf card. <laughs> no, 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 He wrote that. I'm right, sure it said right, like right. happy Mother's Day or whatever, but he wrote that. And, you know, what he meant was it sucked and it was right for all of us. Yeah. I know um, Abby actually first brought this up to me and then you wrote about it in your new book, Untamed, um, because this was a, sort of like this complex thing. Um, there was a moment where I guess Craig, I don't know whether it was a specific conversation, but he made it clear to to the kids, sort of like, that it's okay to love Abby. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember Abby shared with me, she's like, that was maybe the single greatest gift that he had given her. Mm-hmm. And it also like had to have been so, on the one hand, incredibly liberating and powerful, but also really hard. Absolutely. So and, egoless. Yeah. And it's something that you write about, you know, as Craig has somebody who's in his life now mm-hmm. also sort of like navigating these feelings back and forth so that everybody feels like they have permission to love who they want to love mm-hmm. and feel the way they want to feel. And you get the the feeling that it is so much work, but it's so worth it. And it's also absolutely not the norm. No, it's not. And I think it's why one of the themes in Untamed, which I'm obsessed with lately, which I feel like we touched on a little bit in our first podcast, was this idea of how do we create communities of human beings that are that have less of a pack mentality, that have less of a, of a mentality where you toe the line of this group or you're out, right? I mean, that tribal way of thinking, we do it in our families. I mean, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, the worst thing you can do for your kids is to give them a broken family, right? And that means to divorce, right? That was in my growing up, my taming, that was like the ultimate failure. But you know, when I stopped long enough to examine that belief that was planted in me, 
I started thinking, wait, like I know a lot of families whose parents are still married, who are in their original structure and seem very broken, right? And I know a lot of families whose original structure has changed and shifted and are vibrant and whole and loving. And and so I started thinking, wait, for me, the definition of a broken family is any family in which the people inside have to kind of break themselves into pieces to fit, right? And a whole family is any family, regardless of structure, in which all the people in it get to come to the family table and bring their whole selves and grow and change and not toe the family line and not fit into some, you know, cage that the family has decided its members must contort themselves to fit in and still belong, right? And so I think about that, if we can do that in our families, I mean, we are in a place right now in the world where this way of thinking, this tribal way of thinking, this this idea that we all have to toe the line of the pack or we will lose the protection of the pack is why we are where we are, right? It's why like Congress can't, you know, people are giving up their integrity to toe the party lines. It's why people of faith are not speaking up in institutions, even when people are getting hurt. It's why employees of companies are allowing, you know, world-ending practices inside their companies. So it's just like, it's the way it makes sense because it's the way we used to survive, right? Like the evolutionary idea is like, you must toe the line of the pack because you need the protection of the pack. That's how we survived. But it feels like we're in a moment now where the survival of our families, of our nation, of our planet is going to be resisting that urge right? is going to be to stop towing the line of the pack and to actually return to our full humanity and create families and create communities where people don't have to abandon their integrity to get belonging. And so that's what we're trying to do in our family, you know? I mean, whoever, it's kind of like letting go of this idea of I will have these expectations for these people in this structure and everyone must fit my expectations. And instead being like, I have these people, I have these human beings, right? I've got Craig, I've got Abby, I've got myself, I've got Chase, I've got Tish, I've got Emma. And we're going to just keep adjusting our expectations, our ideals, our shape, our structure, so that every single one of these human beings all throughout our life together feels free, right? And held. Yeah. I mean, part of that also, I guess, is necessarily it's like the Buddhist idea of holding it lightly, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't, you can't strive to say, okay, we've got it dialed in. Now let's just try and keep it exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. Cause it feels good. It's sort of like, okay, so let's just create a container mm-hmm. where everybody can continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody can become who they need to become, do what they need to do to sort of like be their true selves and stay, create enough safety and trust and openness um, so that people feel comfortable doing that and knowing that you're not going to get kicked out for doing that. Um, Absolutely. It's not rigid. The second yeah. it's rigid, the second you think you have solid ground when it comes to human beings. You're done. You're done. It has to be like, it's like a school of fish or like, or like liquid, you know, it's just this, con- you have to, 
You have to go with the beingness of it. We're talking about human beings and they're going to constantly shift and, and change. And, you know, I think about it all the times in terms of my sexuality, people are always like, what are you? Like, I don't know. I think we might, in terms of faith and religion, what are you? I just, I don't know. I feel deeply that we're getting beyond that, you know, that we're talking about, when we talk about faith or we talk about sexuality, we're talking about energies. We're talking about forces, you know, that are greater than we are and we're, that that are fluid and constantly moving and we're trying to contain them in these little teeny categories, right? So, so I don't know. I just feel like we just have to have some more faith in the beingness and the ever-changingness of people and just realize that we're the water, we're not the glass. Mm. Yeah, and, and that freaks us out. Freaks us out. Because we want to lock down. Like mm-hmm. we get, we think about the future not being certain, at least on some baseline level, like not being able to touch stone in the areas that matter most to us and be able to identify, this is what it feels like, this is what it looks like. And I'm always going to know that this is what it feels like and looks like forgetting the fact that that is impossible and will always be impossible. But I feel like we're so driven. We yearn for it so deeply mm. that, that we create so much suffering in our lives and then in the lives of those who we seek to lock down to make us feel better. That's right. It's just trying to freeze. You know, but I think that we do send, we do need, we do need security. You know, we are people who, you know, we want to be free. We want to be held. We want to be free. We want to be held. We want to be free. So there's no, you know, there's no full, full freedom down here. There's no, we're always going to need each other, but I do feel that we are capable of moving past the rigid cages we put in people so that they can earn their belonging. Right. I mean, you know, I have so many friends who in their heart of hearts, in their inner self, in their wild self, right? Like, so like in the book, I would, I would, say that that we have like a, a wild self and a tamed self. And the tamed self is the self that we put on the outside. And we, we perform certain roles, certain identities so that we can stay in the pack, right? I have so many friends who are in religious groups, in religious packs, who uh, tell me they don't believe half the crap that's being spewed by the, you know, zookeepers of that particular faith but they don't speak up. And the reason they don't speak up is because the second they, they step out of line, they just get skewered. You know, the idea of, of this shaming that comes from the pack when you dare to, um, to admit what you feel or, you know, or you imagine it's different than what the, that is, I think, what we can move away from. Like, I think that we are always going to need each other and we're always going to need groups, but we might be able to figure out a way to create communities where people don't have to lose their integrity to belong. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like what, you know, mutual friend of both of ours, Brene Brown, sort of speaks about when the distinction between fitting in and belonging. Oh, yeah. Like, we think we have to change ourselves to be accepted by the group. And what's interesting is because I don't think it's that clean. You know, to me, it's, we all do need to belong to something. Mm-hmm. Like there is a primal need. And like you said, this has been in us for, you know, generations and generations, and generations, probably originally because it was a survival instinct, mm-hmm. but it, it's still there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's plenty of research that shows 
that we suffer mightily when we don't feel like we belong. Mm -hmm. So I think, I feel like there's this fine line that we dance between, between participating in a group or a community or a culture on a level that lets us feel like we truly are seen and heard and, Mm -hmm. and accepted and embraced for who we are, yet also surrendering just enough of identity or autonomy or something so that we feel like we are part of something bigger than us at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's a really delicate dance. It's like you said, there is no absolute freedom. Um, I feel kind of similar, like there's this dance between freedom and belonging mm-hmm. that we're constantly trying to figure out, like, where is my place here? I mean, it's interesting that you said identity. Do you think that's, I, I think one of the things that I would love to get away from is this idea that your identity determines your pack. Yeah, tell me more. Well, I am a, well, you know, we're born, right? We're born and we have these potentials for individual selves, right? We've got this inner individual innate self and then and then we start, our social programming comes. And what, are, what happens is that we are given all of these identities. You are a girl, you are straight, you are a Christian, you are an American, you are a Doyle, right? And so these identities then lead us to our pack, right? The, the identity, I'm a girl. And so in order to be accepted and seen and belong in this group called girl, I have to do these things, right? I have to stay pretty. I have to stay small. I have to not be too ambitious. I have to not be angry. I have to um, be objectified, all, the, all these things. Um, I'm a Christian. I mean, that means different things for everybody, right? Every person who wears that label tells me that it means something different to them. But I just think that if we could figure out a way to have groups where your belonging did not depend on your identity, right? I'm, I'm losing faith in that idea that I can tell you exactly who and what I am anymore. That's why I ended the book with the I am, I am, I am, right? Because, I mean, I started thinking about this in terms of sexuality. When, when I first told the world about me and Abby, all anyone asked me for months, every interview, everything was, what are you? What are you? And all I can tell you is I don't know. I didn't look at Abby when she walked into that room and think, I'm gay. I just looked at Abby and thought, oh, there's my person, right? It wasn't an identity thing. So I don't know. I just think that one of the things that happens is we have this, this idea that people tell us who we are, and then we have to perform those roles out, right? And that a fixed identities lead to fixed pack, fixed herd of people. And then that leads to fixed ideology. And then that leads to war. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I I feel like the identity side of it is something that maybe other people want from us more than we need for ourselves to flourish. Mm -hmm. Because they want to, it's, their brain wants to file us somehow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes it easier to understand how to relate to you. Mm -hmm. But as, as you so eloquently have said and have written, easy doesn't necessarily mean right. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the path that's going to like let everybody be who they need to be and the world become what it needs to become. Yeah. And it also keeps us from, um, I should speak for myself. What I think that 
giving us certain identities does is it keeps us from figuring out who we truly are on the inside. Mm. Because all that's happening when we're, when you're getting an identity, so you're a girl, you're a Christian, you're a Doyle, you're an American, what comes along with those are all of the expectations that a girl, a good girl does, that a good American does, that a good Doyle does, that a good Christian does. So no longer, so very early in life, no longer am I trying to figure out who I am. I'm just trying to match my behavior, my beliefs, my words, who I am to these expectations that somebody else has put out for me, which is why, and then over time, we just forget. We just think we are this performance, right? I mean, that's why that moment when I, when I first saw Abby and she walked into a room and my entire being just said, there she is. I mean, at first I, I thought those words were coming from me, on, coming to me from on high. And it took me a long time to figure out, oh, that was coming from within. Those, I was hearing from the self that was beneath all of these layers of expectations that I've been performing and not living, right? And so that was a really cool experience for me because the reason I knew that I was finally hearing from my true self is that I wanted Abby and it was the first time I had wanted anyone beyond who I'd been expected to want. Mm -hmm. And I loved her and it was the first time I'd loved anyone beyond the people I'd been conditioned to love, right? So that's when I figured out, oh, what else in my life is not true to me at all. It's just shit I've been performing. What about my faith has nothing to do with my true relationship with the divine? It's just an act of what people of faith are supposed to do based on what people told me, right? How much of my gender, how much of my womanhood is just an act that I'm performing because somebody told me that this is what a girl looks like? How much of my sexuality how much of my mothering? I mean, Jesus, I remember thinking, I can't, I can't do this. I can't follow my heart. I can't be true to myself in this love for Abby because I'm a mother. You know, I'm a mother. Like mothers are martyrs. Mothers bury themselves. Mothers deny their feelings and their dreams and their desires because that is what is best for their children right? That's what I was trained to believe. And then one day in the middle of all of this, I was looking at my little girl and, and she was looking in the mirror and she looked past the mirror at me and she said, mommy, can I do my hair like yours? And something about the way she said that made me realize, oh my God, every time this little girl looks at me, she is asking me a question about life. She's, she's looking at me and she's thinking, mommy, how do I do my hair? Mommy, how does a woman love and be loved? Mommy, how does a woman live? And I realized, oh my God, I am staying in this marriage for her, but would I want this marriage for her? Which is when I realized, oh my God, this idea that I have been sold that mothers are martyrs is horseshit, right? It's, it's a false belief that's been planted beneath me to control me. What a burden for children of martyr mothers to bear, to be the reason that their mother stopped living, right? To know that one day if they become parents, they too will have to die for their children because children will only allow themselves to live as fully as their parents do, which is why Young said that the greatest burden that a child can carry is the unlived life of a parent, yeah. 
right? So that's when I realized, oh, this is just this, this bullshit mother thing I've been doing, just hiding myself. I'm just performing. I'm performing the act of the, the identity of motherhood that patriarchy passed down to me, right? I'm just playing it out and it's not what's best for me. And it's not what, what's best for my daughter because the, the call of motherhood is not to slowly die for your children and call that love. The call of motherhood is to show your children how to bravely live, right? Until the day you die, right? So the call of motherhood is not martyrdom, it's modeldom. It's like parents cannot settle for anything less true or beautiful than what they would want for their children because their, their children are looking at them saying, what do I have permission to want and to experience in my life, right? So that's what I figured out. My kid doesn't need me to save her. My, my kid needs to watch her mother save herself. So I don't know. I just think, I guess when I say that I think it's important to throw out the identity stuff, maybe that's not what I mean. I think it's important to examine the ideals and expectations that were given to us along with our identities, right? We need to do what Whitman suggested, which is re-examine everything we've been taught in a book or in church or in school and dismiss whatever insults our own soul, right? We need to plant our own beliefs about what a mother is, about what a wife is, what a woman is, what a person of faith is, what sexuality is beneath us, so that our, our root beliefs aren't keeping us from growing as strong and bold as we were born to be. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33 inch all terrain tires and multi terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. That sounds familiar. You should know these numbers. 37,000 
25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. One of those beliefs also, which seems like a touchdown around the same time you were grappling with all of this is that you can break a child's heart without breaking the child, mm-hmm. which is something that you write, which I, th- I think when that switch gets flipped at the same time, you're sort of like awakening to all these other things about you and the way that it's important to live your own life. And also that the idea that, you know, the, the primary role of a parent is it's not to keep your kid safe from everything, <laughs> you know, but, but to teach them that it's okay to take risks, that it's okay to go out and risk who you are um, going public with that. And to, you know, it's, it's, it's bravery over safety, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not easy because, you know, I think as, as parents, I think a lot of us, like the first fear that we all have is, you know, like, dear God, let my kid not be hurt. Right. Like, I just want to keep them safe. I'm sure they can take risks. Up to a point. Right. <laughs> Take risks, but only while I'm watching. Right, and right, only exactly. When they're wearing their shin guards. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. You know, like social mm-hmm. risk up to a point, like physical risk up to a point, emotional risk up to a point. And yet it's it's the very it's the skills and the ability and the mindset that will like let them push past that point, feel the pain, and then understand how to process it that turns them into everything that they yearn to become. And and you deeper than that really hope that they become. Hope become. Yeah. That's right. And I think it, I think the hard part of becoming, I mean, to be fair, this is what our parenting generation, the memo we got, right? Was just don't let anything ever happen to your child. Like when you bring your baby home, your life ends and your job is to make sure that your baby's life never begins. That's that's the memo we got. So we can all be forgiven for being a little helicoptery for a while. But I think that what it takes for a parent to actually trust pain, to let their kids have pain is to become an adult who trusts pain in your own life, right? I think I, as a recovering addict, spent most of my life avoiding pain at all costs, right? So so man, do I get that. And it took getting sober and realizing that staying, staying with myself, not abandoning myself by numbing out, even in the most painful parts of life is what made my life magic. Hands down, that's it. I mean, for me, it's all, all, every bit of it comes back to sobriety. And sobriety to me is just a way of life that is a refusal to abandon yourself ever at all, right? So no matter how bad it gets, you just trust that whatever is breaking you is making you and that you will survive. And I think that it just takes a while to get to that point where you start to trust the process of pain. And once you do trust it in your own life, you can let your kids have it. But it's not, 
easy. It's definitely not easy for me. I mean, it, nothing hurts worse than watching your kids in pain. But, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I was um, doing this speaking event a while back and a woman stood up and she was crying and she said, Glennon, my little boy is in so much pain. Our family's crumbling and I can't fix it. And every day I just look at my little boy and I think I had one job to protect him from this pain and I couldn't do it. And I feel like such a failure. And all the other parents were, oh, me too. And it was just so interesting because I said, okay, tell me your name. And she said, Joni or something. I said, okay, Joni, can you just give me three words that you would use to describe the kind of man you're trying to raise? And she said, I want him to be wise and I want him to be kind and I want him to be resilient. And I said, okay, then please tell me what is it in a human life that creates wisdom and resilience and kindness? It's pain. That's it, right? Like it's, it's not, not having anything to overcome. It's overcoming and overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. And so I think that because of the terrible memo our parenting generation got that we are protecting our children from the one thing that will allow them to become the adults we dream they'll be, right? And so, and so brave parenting, wise parenting is about letting your children go through some fires so that they can find out that they're fireproof, right? Because otherwise they just become fire avoiders their whole lives. And we all know those. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's such a tendency to dissociate. You know, I think when we feel physical pain, we dissociate into our brain. When we feel psychological pain, we dissociate into our body. Like the difference being we dissociate into our, our mind in almost chasing distraction. We dissociate mm-hmm. into our body chasing dominion. We want mm-hmm. control. And that manifests in all sorts of like bad mm-hmm. physical stuff. But at the end of the day, either path you know, like keeps us from what we really want, which is freedom. Mm-hmm. And I so agree. If, if we don't allow ourselves to do that, you know, if we don't find our way back and rather than dissociate, but associate, Mm -hmm. and then seek out the resources, the help, the support, the skills to navigate our way through it. Not only do we never get to that place where we're a step closer to freedom or heartbeat closer to it, but to then expect our our kids to find our way there when we're not willing to go there is a little delusional. So delusional. And so much of parenting is delusional. Well, 100% agree, right. And some of it's purposeful and I, I will remain yeah. in much of my delusion and because by the way, it's survival. I'm, right. And I'm raising my hand saying, yeah, I'm not there yet. No, either. totally. But like we can see it from the outside, yeah, yeah. right? And and when you talk about freedom and pain, like the, the idea is not, I mean, we are never going to be free from pain. I know there's theories that we, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that we're ever going to, but what I have learned at 43 is that I can be free from the fear of pain, mm. right? The the, the paralyzing inability to go out in the world, to take risks, to love, to be seen for fear of the pain that will inevitably come. I am not delusional enough to think that I am free from that pain. That's co- I know it's coming. It's always coming, right? It's either tomorrow or next Tuesday. It's always coming. But what I do know is after you sit in it and survive it enough times, you're just free from the fear of it. And that just has to be good enough for me. And that's what I've seen with my kids. I mean, they went through the worst. Like for them, their family, their little family breaking up was the worst. It was the worst that they could imagine. And I watched them 
carry on. What else can we do? Carry on, you know, um, shift their expectations, be a little, um, a little less idealistic, a little more street smart. Some of that's sad. Some of that's amazing. Do you know what they are now? They're kids who aren't, you know, those people, you know, that it's like, no, the shit hasn't hit the fan for them yet. So they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that causes this like manic, like they aren't that anymore. And they used to be the other shoe has dropped for them and they survived and they're just braver and calmer. And, um, I think more ready for, for what life will bring to them. So, you know, I don't know. I just think that we could think about pain the same way with our, with our kids. Like it will come, it's coming and we don't have to protect them from it. You know, I feel like my job is just to hold their hand through it over and over again so that when I'm gone, they can walk through that fire themselves. Yeah. Um, something you referenced a couple of times is the word wild. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it seems like this is the other narrative that's been running through this whole window of time for you. And it's reconnecting to something primal, something mm-hmm. essential. Um, you use the phrase in your book, uh, the golden ones, I, which if, if I read it, if I read it right, is sort of to describe people who are performing expectation. Perfectly. We're right? performing perfectly. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, this is what the world expects of me. And yeah. I'm going to be this and the I'll be annoying to the golden one. Yeah. It's funny as I was reading it. I, I had this immediate flash in my mind of the movie, The Outsiders. Mm. Um, and there's one line where it says, stay gold, stay pony gold, boy, pony stay gold. Boy. Which was the exact opposite meaning. Like it comes from a Robert Frost poem, which says, don't lose that like essential mm-hmm. self that you had when you were really little. You know, like, and um, it's interesting that sort of like there's the golden ones performing expectations, but the, the real gold underneath that is that true nature. Which is why the book is covered in gold, which is why I describe the knowing as liquid gold, because the God in you, the divine in you, the knowing in you, the wild, the inner self, that is gold. It's different than golden. Gold is liquid, right? Golden is frozen. It's, 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 it's the essence was there and then it froze. I think that what I mean by that wild, I, I think the word is so beautiful. And I think when people think of wild, they think of like bad and dangerous, you know, but I think that wild is good and dangerous. It's beautiful and dangerous. And what I mean by wild is just, it's just that we're born with this self, right? And and when we get tamed, we get tamed with, through social programming. But, you know, the way you know that you're tamed, is not complicated. It's just, you know, if you've ever been in a conversation where something horrible or racist or misogynistic or something was said and you feel the wild in you knowing that you should say something and then you don't say it. That's your two selves. That's your wild self inside and your tamed self outside, right? If you have ever been in a relationship where you had needs, right? Where you had needs, where you had feelings that you, that were bubbling up inside of you, but you don't say them on the outside. That's how you know that you have two selves, like a wild self inside and a tamed self outside that is afraid to say the thing. So, you know, all I mean by that, by the wild safe, I don't mean something bad or something that people should be afraid of, right? I think it's it's this truest, this true and beautiful inner self that all of us know. It's beyond words. It's inside of us. It's what it's that knowing that you get when you're still right? I don't, doesn't matter what you call it. Like some people call it God. Some people call it intuition. 
um, spirit, source. I have a friend who calls it Sebastian. Like, who the hell cares? But it's this thing inside of you that um, that just knows, right? And the, the more separate we get from that to, the, to our performing self, to our tamed self, that's the distance that makes us feel lost. You know, that's how we end up living lives of quiet desperation. That that des- that quiet desperation is the is the wild self inside not doing the thing that it would do if it could, but it can't, right? It thinks it can't. And I just, I have to believe that right now more than ever, it is time, right? For us to stop abandoning our inner selves. Like I feel like we're at a moment evolutionarily so for so long, it, it was how we survived to hide that self, to stay in the pack. And now at this moment in history, I think the way we survive is to separate from the pack, right? We have to, we have to imagine a world where politicians were actually honoring their integrity instead of their party lines, right? Imagine a world where people of faith were speaking out when abuse was happening inside of their of their institutions instead of towing the party line. Imagine a world in which white women were breaking from white supremacy and speaking up. Imagine a world in which men were breaking from patriarchy and speaking the truth. Like, I think, imagine a world in which we were saving the planet by not towing corporate lines. Like, it feels like right now there's never been a more important time for us to stop honoring the pack and stop start honoring ourselves and let the pack evolve. Yeah. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When I was reading that and, and just hearing you now also, um, it's funny, my, when I was a kid, my mom was a dancer. So I was sort of like exposed to Ailey and mm. one of the people I was exposed to was Martha Graham. And over the years, I've sort of like, I, I'm fascinated by dancers. And so I was, as I was reading what you're saying, another word came to me and it was because it was a quote from Martha. So I quickly like ran to the internet and, and I was like, what was that again? And I, and I pulled it up and I printed it out and I was like, this is kind of like how it landed with me. I actually printed it out. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to share it with you. So um, she wrote, there's a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. Mm. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even need to have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep yourself open and aware to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. No satisfaction, whatever, at any time. There's only a queer, divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. Mm. Yeah, that lands. Right? Yeah. And I love the more alive. I mean, I'm so over the, how do we be happy? I'm trying to be happy. Mm. I'm trying to be happy. Like the self-improvement shit. I'm just so, I'm not, happy is so fleeting and so ridiculous. I just, I'm no longer asking myself, what makes me happy? I'm just asking myself, do I feel alive? Mm. Do I feel alive? Is this alive? Is this person, is this relationship, is this job, is this, is it, is it, is it that vitality that I, you can feel inside of you, that life force, is this bringing me to life? Right? Because you know what? Sometimes when I'm really alive, when I'm really in where I'm supposed to be, it hurts. You know, it's not always, but it's an aliveness. You know, it's like that, 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 that thing that you're born with that she's talking about, it's just, I just think we owe it to the world. I think we owe that thing that we're born with to the world. And when we spend our entire freaking life performing, that's the block. Yeah. And like she says, there's only one of us. Mm -hmm. um, I so agree with the happy thing, <laughs> By the mm. way, and I feel like a lot of a lot of people are moving away from that too. Mm. Um, 
you know, I look at happiness as a, a, the snapshot and meaning is the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, you know, you, you said feel alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you can feel alive, you got to feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost feel like that is the bigger barrier to so many of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've sort of like stopped ourselves from feeling that. But we're at a moment where I agree, I, th- I think it's so necessary. Um, the idea of stillness is something that you talk about also. And having something happen to you and then rather than just, okay, so what's my instant reaction and move on? Pausing, mm-hmm. being in this stillness. And how that changes you and maybe what you do next and who you become and how you become. Yeah. I mean, I think that the stillness is everything. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any untaming without the stillness. I don't know how you would begin to figure out who you are not and who you are until you are able to be quiet enough for long enough to hear your own voice. You know, I mean, Every message that we get on the outside is programming us, is taming us in one way or another. That's one of the reasons why we're all obsessed with happiness, right? That's all capitalist stuff. That's 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 people buying, people selling us stuff, right? We just keep you get on the consumer hamster. You know, you're not depressed because life is depressing. It's because you need these new countertops, right? And then you buy the freaking countertops, and then you need the jeans, and that because you can never get enough of what you don't really need. So the thing is, if you if we stay plugged in constantly to all of those messages. We will never have time to go inward and feel for the gold to realize that none of those other voices are right or true, right? I mean, for me, it took, I found, I'm just a little bit humiliating, but I found myself one night trying to decide what to do about my marriage and Googling, okay, I Googled at 3 a.m., Ben and Jerry's in bed, Googling the question, what do I do if my husband is an amazing dad but is also cheating on me? Enter. Okay. This was like a spiritual rock bottom for me, okay? I had actually asked a conglomeration of trolls and bots what to do with my one wild and precious life, right? This is a night where I looked at that question and thought, why do I trust everyone on earth but myself? Why do I only look outward for answers, right? All I used to do was, what do I do? What should I do? What would you do? What should, what do the experts do? What would 49 quizzes on Buzzfeed do? Like everything was outward, outward, outward. And it was at that time where I realized that everyone was telling me that there was a different right thing to do, right? So in the face of infidelity, you know, the feminists were telling me that a strong woman would leave. The Christians were telling me that a good wife would stay. The parenting experts were telling me that a good mother would use it all as a freaking learning experience, whatever. But it was awesome because I realized that, oh, if there was truly a right and a wrong or a good and a bad that was objective, all of these people wouldn't have different right and wrongs and good and bads, right? It was so awesome because I was like, oh, these right and wrongs, good and bads, should and shouldn't, they are not pure. They're not from the gold. These are all culturally constructed, right? These are different tribes telling me the should and shouldn't that are the expectation of that tribe, right? They're, they're made up. They're the, the barking sheepdogs that keep the, the herd in, in, in line. So 
that's when I realized, oh, I, I have to go inside, man. I cannot allow other people's ideas to control this one life that I have. And that's when I started promising myself that I would be still. I think it was like 15 minutes a day in the beginning. And it was a freaking nightmare. I hated every minute of it for a good long time. It was just, I think that's why nobody does it. It's so hard. It is so hard to be left alone with your own shit for a little while. It's just, we will do anything. Like, give me a phone, give me the pantry, give me anything but this time alone. But everything that you need to know is in the, the stillness. I learned that over. And even when I don't want to know, I will avoid getting still when I'm not ready to know what the next right thing is for me because I want to keep doing the wrong thing for a while because I know it's always there waiting for me in the stillness. And it's free. You know, it's not about freaking self-improvement. I'm so exhausted by all that shit. It's not about improvement. It's just about returning to yourself, to who you always were. Yeah. If you look at modern personal development, it's about change. If you look at thousands of years old explorations of philosophy like Buddhism or a lot of Eastern thought, the Sanskrit word that is, is commonly used is jivanmukti or jivanmukti, which like deconstructs to not transformed being, but liberated being. Mm. Because the fundamental assumption is you're not changing into something else. Mm -hmm. Like all you're doing is like you're scraping away all the stuff mm -hmm. that has stopped the thing, the person, the essence that's always been there from being the thing that is front and center, from being present, from being the lived expression of yeah. who you are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. It's not becoming something different. It's getting rid of all the cages so that you can be who you were meant to be in the first place, so that you just become the person that you were before the world told you who to be in the first place. And that, you know, everything, it's about not being divided. It's just about being able to live a life of integrity, which to me has nothing to do with right and wrong. It's about being integrated, you know, having that inner self, having what you, what you know and what you feel and what you imagine on the outside become the words and the deeds that you do on the outside. It's just integrating both into one life. And the cool thing is though, is that I think it's a little bit deceptive because what I have noticed <laughs> in my life is that the more you liberate your real self, your wild self, lots of shit does change, right? It's like, it's not like, oh, it's, you just return to yourself and then everything stays the same. Like nothing stays the same. You are just returning to yourself. But the more that you liberate your real self, that self that you've been hiding out of fear, your life does transform, right? Because you're no longer acting out a self anymore and, and, um, your relationships change and your job changes and your community changes because you have finally showed up as yourself. So there can be, I'm just trying to say there, there can be some scary shit that goes on. Yeah. There's <laughs> no doubt it can blow up everything around you just the same way well, as if you like you, you change into something else. Yeah. Let's create, I mean, and, and I think that's what, isn't that why so many of us don't actually engage in any process of either liberation or transformation is because we know deep down inside that a lot of stuff is going to blow up yeah. or change. Um, and 
there's stuff that we kind of want that to happen with mm-hmm. and we're okay with that. But then there are other pockets where we're like, I don't want to rock that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there's something inside of us that knows it's going to be rocked and maybe even sunk, you know, so that a new one can be built um, that will allow you to sail somewhere beautiful. Mm-hmm. But still like that is, I think that's so much of the fear. I think so many of us will dip our toes in the process. And then even if we don't know it going into it, like we get a couple of steps in and we're like, Oh, oh, so this is what's coming. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, it you get to the point where you start to understand deeply that there is a cost either way. I agree. Like there's no it, there's no getting out free. Like yeah. either you rock the boat on the outside or you abandon yourself on the inside. And over time, there's a war either way, right? There's either, you either start conflict on the outside in your relationships, in your dealings, in your community, or you start this conflict on the inside, which is this self that's slowly being ignored and slowly losing that vitality and the gold is dulling. And that's, so there's a price to pay either way. And I don't think that it has to be this, this liberation of self, this untaming. It's not, it doesn't have to be, I don't think that everyone should leave their husband and marry an Olympian. Okay. I mean, I definitely think most people should, but (laughs) I'm just serious. But I do think that it doesn't all need to be blown up that way. I'm talking about like in conversations, right? I'm talking about, you know, at the dinner table, saying the thing that you think you can't say. I'm talking about sharing with your partner, like your deepest innermost needs that you're afraid to to say. I'm talking about these like little ways that we abandon ourselves over and over again. And then we look at our lives and we wonder why we don't recognize them. And that's because we haven't brought ourselves to them, right? So it's not all about the huge changes. It's just about allowing that inner voice to speak on the outside and just seeing what happens. Yeah. It's about being brave at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But in sometimes testing the water. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't think that brave is what, like I've just been thinking so much about the word brave and that word makes me a little bit, annoyed sometimes because because I feel like somewhere along the line somebody posted a meme or something that said brave means be, being afraid and doing it anyway hmm. which is so then we were all just like okay brave means being afraid and doing it anyway right we just all like adopted that as our belief but I stopped thinking that recently so I was my two little girls wanted to get their ears pierced and I took them to the freaking pagoda at the mall. And I have this youngest daughter, her name's Emma. And she just is, she's just the the youngest. And I just got tired of parenting. <laughs> just So we call her a free spirit. Um, that means kind of unparented, right? She's, which means that she's just, she's wild. She's awesome. She just does what she wants to do. And she says what's on her mind. And she ran right up to the pagoda and jumped in the piercing chair and said, let's do it. And the lady looked at me and was like, is this your, are you her mother? And I was like, I'm trying to be. And, um, and so she did it. She got both her ears pierced right away. She, you know, had a little bit of tears, but she wiped them away. My older daughter, Tish, is more cautious. She's a more cautious kid. And she watched this piercing go down with Emma and she changed her mind. You know, she said, no, mommy, I'm not ready to do that. Actually, I changed my mind. I don't want to. 
And I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, go ahead and tell the lady. And Tish said, um, excuse me, I'm actually not going to get mine done today. And the lady looked at her and said, oh, come on, honey, be brave. Be brave like your sister. Look at, look at your sister. She's so brave. And a couple of the other moms started saying similar things. And I got so pissed. But of course, I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't like put it into words in the moment till I was driving home. What I figured out is that brave is not what we've been saying brave is. Brave is not being afraid and doing it anyway. Emma was brave because she wanted to get her ears pierced and she said she wanted to get her ears pierced and she got her damn ears pierced. Tish was brave because she didn't want to get her ears pierced and she said she didn't want to get her ears pierced and she didn't get her ears pierced, right? Brave And in fact, I would suggest that Tish was even more brave than Emma in that moment because Tish's knowing was telling her something that wasn't going to get her the applause of the people on the outside, right? Her brave, her knowing was saying no when everybody else was trying to get her to say yes. And that often requires more bravery. So I do not think that brave means being scared and doing it anyway. And I think we might want to stop teaching our kids that because it sounds cute when they're seven, but when they're 13 or 16 and they're leaving our house in the car to go to the kegger down the street, are we going to say, be brave? And by that, I mean, if um, your instinct is telling you not to do something and you feel scared, I just want you to do it anyway. Just plow through and do it. It doesn't mean that. Brave means a brave person is a person who knows herself, who can hear her inner knowing and speaks her inner knowing on the outside, regardless of whether people are going to cheer for her decision or not. Yeah. I love that. Be true to yourself even when it's hard. That's right. That's right. It's kind of a reclamation of the word. Yeah. Because it's, because otherwise it's just all the crazy brave bold people are brave and no one else is, but brave looks different all the time. It cannot be judged on the outside. Yeah. And for introverts like us, brave could be being in a room with more than two people. For, Thank you. For right now, minutes. I feel like this is so brave of us. <laughs> like, yes, we did Absolutely. it. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, it also feels like a kind of like a fun, interesting place for us to start to come full circle. And it ties in with something that you finish the book with. Can I ask you to read something? Yeah. Awesome. So it's a, it's a page and a half towards the very end of your book. I feel like it's probably like a nice place for us to wrap. It's the luckiest chapter. Oh. Do you need glasses or anything? No, I actually, it's funny that you said that because I'm getting there, but I think I can do it. I am there. Are you? <laughs> I have them in different rooms, readers in different rooms oh, yeah, in my totally. house now. Oh, God. Okay. Luckies. When Abby and I first fell in love, we had hundreds of miles and a million obstacles keeping us apart. The facts laid out in front of us made a future together seem impossible. So we'd tell each other about the true and beautiful unseen order we felt pressing through our skin. Our imaginings always included each other and the water. Abby wrote this to me from the other coast one evening before she fell asleep. It's early in the morning and I'm sitting on our dock watching the sunrise. I look and see you in your pajamas, still sleepy, walking toward me, holding two mugs of coffee. We just sit there on the dock together, my back against the piling, your back against my chest, watching the fish jump in the sunrise. We have nowhere to be but together. The harder things became, the more often we'd return to that morning Abby had imagined for us. That dock, her, me, two steaming mugs of coffee. 
That image became our unseen order, guiding us forward. Last week, Abby made dinner for all six of us, the kids, Craig, and me. We all sat down to eat on the back porch of the home on a canal off the Gulf of Mexico that Abby and I bought together. It was a gorgeous evening, the sky all purples and oranges and the breeze steady and warm. We ate and laughed and then cleared the table together. Craig left for his Sunday evening soccer game and the kids finished the dishes and then sat down on the couch to watch a show. Honey, our bulldog, snuggled up on Emma's lap and Abby walked outside to our dock, the Doyle Melton Wom Dock. I watched from inside as she sat down with her back against a piling and looked out at the water. I poured two hot teas and walked out to join her. She looked back toward me, and by her smile, I knew she was remembering. We sat on the dock together, my back against her chest, her back against the piling, and we watched the fish jump while the sun set and the sky celebrated in deeper and deeper purples. Before we went back inside, I snapped a picture of us, smiling with the sun setting behind us, and later I posted it. Someone commented, Ugh, you're so lucky to have each other in this life. I replied, It's true. We are terribly lucky. It is also true that we imagined this life before it existed, and that we each gave up everything for the one in a million chance that we might be able to build it together. We did not fall into this world we have now. We made it. I'll tell you this. The braver I am, the luckier I get. I love that. Me too. How does it feel reading that? It feels... I know that, that, that so much went into to getting to where we are right now. But it feels like magic. It feels like, holy shit, like we did that. Like we did, it is true. It is true that you can imagine and then work beautiful things into existence. That we actually become the worlds we believe that we deserve and we show up and build. It makes me feel hopeful for not just for my family, but for all of us. Mm. So, last time you were here, I asked you this very same question. And I'm curious if and how it's changed as we sit in this container of the Good Life Project. Um, if I offer up the phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? Be true to yourself, is what I would say. Yeah, I... Um, I believe that the freer people are, the better they are. And um, I believe strongly in, in what you read before, that each of us is here. Each of us is fresh, is brand new. We are each experiments that have never been tried before, right? We each, we're all down here asking other people for directions to places they've never been. You know, there is no map. We are all pioneers. And what I believe is that I have no answers for anybody else. The only advice I have to live a good life 
is to return to yourself and trust yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, before you leave, if you love this episode, Safe Bet, you will also love the conversation that we had with Elizabeth Gilbert about love, loss, creativity, and freedom to be exactly who you need to be. You'll find a link to Liz's episode in the show notes. Even if you don't listen now, be sure to click and download so it is ready to play when you're on the go. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app so you'll never miss an episode and then share the Good Life Project love with friends. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.